Welcome to the Marshall Pruitt Podcast in your week in IndyCar listener Q&A episode. Recording here on a Wednesday morning, 9.23 a.m. A very rainy San Francisco Bay Area. Looking out the window here and it is still, still raining hard. Went for my walk this morning in a brief window with no rain. And by brief, I mean... Hung her right out the door, and about 30 seconds later, yeah, I was asking myself, why didn't you bring an umbrella? But anyways, uh, looking forward here, about two days' time, hopping on a flight to good old Texas. Texas Motor Speedway, the PPG 375, round two of this 2023 NTT IndyCar season. Feels like it's been forever since we had an IndyCar race, and indeed, it's been about a month. So, yeah, there we go. Um, Hey, a couple quick things. One of them, very, very cool. Very happy to announce. If you are listening to the show and happen to be looking at the show graphic, one of the fine tunes done by our friend Roger Warwick, you will notice that there is a slight change at the bottom of the bottom right, and that is the addition of Cooper Tires' friend and partner, Discount Tires. So not only do we have a new show partner, which is amazing, we've been uh, developing this idea for a couple of months now, but we're really, really happy to have them not only on board for the rest of the year, but also with what we're going to be able to do with our friends at Discount. That being even more USF Championships content That being the ladder system that provides the vast majority of the great, great drivers in the NTT IndyCar Series. So big thank you to Cooper Tires and to Discount Tire joining us. Going to allow us to do more, speak with whether it's the Indy NXT level, right? Although that's not part of what Discount Tire is doing. Discount is specifically aligned with Anderson Promotions in the USF Championships. We will indeed just be giving more love, even more love, to all of the Junior Open Wheel Series with a primary emphasis on USF Juniors, USF 2000, and USF Pro 2000. But, of course, going to give love as well to Indian XT just as we've done. Because why? Well, I actually spent more years working in the equivalent series back in the day as a young mechanic, engineer, you name it. Uh, than I did in IndyCar. So it's a big part of my life, has been forever, since we started the podcast back in 2016, since I started this new media career of mine after retiring from IndyCar racing. This has been a big part of my life, so just so happy that when we look at our partners for the show, not only do we have Cooper Tires, which provide tires for the entire USF Championships, but also Discount Tire as well. So Super happy there. Welcome on board. I don't have the little sound effect uh, right at hand, but this definitely deserves a little pew, 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 pew. And also our, our beloved friends, makers of fine automotive chemicals and lubricants, Justice Brothers was speaking with Ed Justice yesterday who mentioned he was pretty good friends with the founder of Discount Tire. And there was an old relationship there. So very happy we look at Cooper Tires, the Justice Brothers, and Discount Tire. They will be involved specifically with this show, our Week in IndyCar listener Q&A, Week in IndyCar driver interviews, 
And then also the hashtag racing family Twitter spaces show that I do with our pal, Chris Wheeler, usually every Monday at 5 PM Pacific, 8 PM Eastern. So welcome on board discount tire. So with all that said, uh, we have a decent number of questions according to our friend, Jerry Sudduth, who puts them together for us, but not a crazy, crazy amount. Also little tiny bit of housekeeping. Uh, I got to get the show done here sooner than later. Cause supposed to jump on a call with our friend IndyCar president, Jay Fry to catch up on a few things leading into Texas and some post Texas items as well. So let's do just that. Get rolling here. Once again, thank you for all the questions you have sent in. And if you want to join a growing community of racing fans, you might send an email to the Pruday rocks at Gmail address, P R U E D A Y R O C K S Pruday rocks at gmail.com. That is the Pruday listener group, which is formed around the show group of folks, couple hundred. I'm told really have become good friends, positive people, funny people just like talking about racing, get engaged with racing and the other things in life that come with it with a group that I would say are absolutely not toxic like you can find in so many other places on the interwebs send that email to prudayrocks at gmail.com and new family will welcome you in so we're going to get going here with tim hubble tim you are opening the show thank you says mp for hashtag you personally who would be your top three feel good indy 500 winners in this year's race tim says for me they would be one Catherine leg number two ed carpenter number three well Graham Rahal or Tony Kanon. I'm with you there for sure, Tim, on the Tony Kanon. This is his final. This is his farewell. He has indeed told me and others, no, I know I've done 17 farewells and last laps and whatever else, and I'm exaggerating a little bit, but uh, he has said this is truly his final. And so if you're going to go out, I'd love to see the others that you mentioned. You know, if they were to win, I'm sure lots of folks would be happy. Tony Kanon, though, in particular, I think would be a really, really amazing story for us to tell. Look, going out with a win, a farewell win, the Indy 500. How often has that happened? Pretty much never, right? That would be the one. Uh, Eric Franklin, you're asking last year, they rubbered in the second line at Texas during an alternate practice session, and it seemed to help. Is it safe to assume they will do that again? Indeed they will, Eric. It's one of the things I'm going to speak with Jay Fry about here shortly. It's on the schedule right after qualifying about a half hour after qualifying. It's meant to be two groups, uh, 15 minutes a piece for those two groups split the field in half. It's not mandatory, so will we see all 28 cars out there? I don't know. I would think so. Reason I would say I think so, compared to last year where uh, there weren't a ton of takers, um, there's going to be a change in the structure of the Texas procedures. Last year, for example, just say last year, for example, there was an impound process after qualifying. Could not change the cars. So what that meant was qualifying, in terms of the car setup and specification, 
they were all in race trim. That's no longer the case. We no longer have this impound thing going on. So we're going to have teams doing full and proper qualifying setups and then switching over to go into race setups where this gets a little tricky and I'm hoping to figure out a couple of the, the finer aspects procedurally of how this is going to be done from Jay here in just a little bit. Um, there's 30 minutes between the end of qualifying and the start of this rubbering in the second lane session. Not too long after that rubbering in session is done, again, I don't have the schedule in front of me, but it's a half hour or whatever, short amount of time uh, after that is final practice. And that I think is maybe half hour or so. We just look at how Saturday runs. This is a very busy early portion of the day. And then we go racing Sunday, late Sunday morning. So we have 50 minutes of practice starting at 8, 10 a.m. local in Texas. I believe that's 9, 10 Eastern Saturday morning. Five, zero minutes. Then there's about a two-hour, two-hour and 15-minute gap until we qualify. Then after qualifying, there's a 30-minute break where the cars will be, quote, impounded on pit lane. That's what I've been told, something I need to clarify, Eric, with Jay. Been told, hey... You're not allowed to go back to the garage, put the cars on the setup pads, make the aerodynamic changes, right? Because that's going to be the main thing, right? Try and run a little more slippery aerodynamics in qualifying, see if you can get some more top speed out of the thing, and then bolt on more downforce and race trim to make the car more secure. Been told that the series is saying, well, you're going to be impounded, in the sense that you need to stay on pit lane, complete any of your switchover stuff from qualifying trim to race trim in that 30 minutes. So you're going to have to be pretty quick in what you do and then go run that rubbering in seconds, uh, second lane routine. I would think because there's not going to be a lot of time Frankly, teams are going to be super busy during that 50-minute practice Saturday morning. I don't know how many are going to get into real serious longer runs, race setup type runs to get a feel for the cars because they have a number of aerodynamic permissions, aerodynamic options that they can use that are different from last year. There's just going to be a ton of things for each team to try and work through during that practice session. It's not going to be one of those, okay, pretty much just roll out, know the setup, and we'll make a couple of quick checks, a couple of quick tweaks. But other than that, we're going to use most of the practice session doing race running, and then maybe towards the end we'll try a, a little qualifying simulation. I think they're going to be lucky to get through half of the stuff they want to in that single practice session before qualifying where this just makes things a little interesting and feeds into your question about the rubbering in session. Yes, the goal will be to run that second lane and put rubber up there for them to use in the race. But I'm also, if I'm a team, I'm looking at that as an extra 15 minutes of running in race trim. Told teams will be allowed to pit and make 
quick little tweaks or changes to the cars to make them handle better based on whatever the drivers say. But I would love to see the drivers doing nothing but running that second lane to rubber it in. But I also have a feeling it's going to be used, Eric, as a method to get more race trim data and tuning in before they go into that final dedicated practice session, not too long after the rubbering in session's over, to really try and lock that down. So it's going to be a busy day. And because there's just not going to be enough time for anyone, I think, to feel super comfortable with learning all they want to try and learn and then apply that to make great race cars, i got to believe we're going to have most, if not all, teams sending their cars out during that rubbering in session just to use it as a little bit of a data gathering thing too. Um, that also covers off the next question from MJ1402. Uh, Kurt Pose, how you doing, Kurt? One of our friends who is a fine and amazing SCCA volunteer. Um, did a piece with our friend John Doonan, president of IMSA, about a new training program put together between the SCCA Sports Car Club of America and IMSA for volunteer worker training and would uh, definitely encourage you all to look into that if you have a desire to be closer to the racing than you can get any other way other than joining a racing team. Uh, this is how you get to be, whether it's on grid, helping to get the cars lined up and organized for each session. It's a great way to meet a lot of drivers, mechanics, team owners, you name it. I'm talking more club racing before you might work your way up to doing uh, pro races or out on a corner doing flagging out there. There's communications and whatnot, timing and scoring. There's all kinds of things you might be able to do, but uh, Kurt's one of the great folks who uh, volunteers his time to do that on race weekends. Kurt says, Texas is notoriously hard to pass on. We've seen so many drivers lost points in St. Pete during that destruction derby. So should we expect there to be low percentage moves attempted in the race to make up those points? Or will the drivers play nice? Yeah. So one of the, I guess, key things to mention or observe here, Kurt, is it's the responsibility of folks like me to try and contextualize races and write about them, talk about them, whatever, as do other reporters and such. And that's one of the things we do talk about. Hey, you're starting the season in a huge hole. Meyershank Racing comes to mind, right? Both their drivers out. Turn three, lap one. Um, boy, do they have to dig out. Those are facts. But those are things that folks like me, uh, maybe folks like you, think about and ponder. These are not things that a Simon Pagino or Elio Castroneves happen to be thinking, for example among the other drivers who were caught out in all that craziness there. They're thinking about going to Texas and winning and doing any and everything they need to win. So I cannot think of anyone other than maybe A.J. Foyt Racing rookie Benjamin Peterson, who will probably be told, hey, you got zero miles of racing in at St. Pete we really need you to complete all 250 laps here. Um, however you need to do that, do that. But we're looking for you to gain experience first and foremost, and any and everything else is secondary. 
I can't think of really any other drivers, and I might be missing one or two, but with the exception of Benjamin, for example, um, I would say every single driver who was caught out in something bad in our, our deep buried towards the bottom of the points coming out of St. Pete, we'll be looking at Texas with absolutely no intentions of doing anything nice, taking things easy. It's not as if any driver says, hey, there's a low percentage pass. I'm going to try it and fully accept that there are massive risks. That's just not something that folks articulate in their brain at Texas due to the crazy speeds and the potential danger. There's also human nature, right? <laughs> hey, that, that thing in front of me, I cannot resist trying to reach for it and to make it mine. That's usually happening at least once, if not twice at Texas, right? So whether that's with someone who is doing wonderfully in the points, Kurt, or way back in the points and in a deficit, that's just something that's really hard to turn off. So... I don't think any of what we saw at St. Pete is going to influence how 98 whatever percent of the drivers going to Texas view what they are about to do. Let's see, uh, platy hooks or platy hooks. Question coming back. This is yet another one I have for Jay Fry, and I kind of know the answer, but uh, I'm glad you asked said marshall two-part question do different tire compounds laid down on a track from different series cause issues for cars when they go out answer is yes uh, might seem strange where you go well wait a minute they're made of rubber right they use rubber because it's really kind of grippy uh wouldn't just rubber in general be something that plays nice with other rubber as we've learned over the years that's not the case because while the rubber coming from a rubber tree or from the Wyuli shrub might be identical when it is cold, certainly the, uh, the chemical processes, the treatments to it and whatnot from tire manufacturer to tire manufacturer happen to be different. And therefore, yeah, uh, Firestone rubber on the IndyCar is running over the Goodyear rubber from the NASCAR trucks that will be competing at texas on saturday night those are not things that will necessarily uh play super nice to one another um so yes definitely suboptimal um you also mentioned you're concerned about not having a warm-up sunday morning and how that might impact sunday's racing um yeah i mean that's if you look at the schedule we're super busy on saturday come back Sunday morning, do nothing in terms of on track. And then we go racing again. And I think it's like 11, 10 AM, uh, central green flag, 12, 10 ish or so, uh, Eastern in a perfect world, we would have the qualifying session, then final warm up, and then the rubbering in session Sunday morning to try and overwrite uh, the Goodyear rubber from the long NASCAR race that I don't think is going to happen based on the schedule that's been put out. So yeah, um, that's the weird part. 
So we're going to try and put down Goodyear rubber, I'm sorry, Firestone rubber on that second groove. There will be success there. Um, the NASCAR trucks will go out, put down their Goodyear rubber on top of that, and then we do nothing afterwards to try and put ours back on top of theirs until we go racing. The only way I can think of that we start to rubber in that second lane to make passing more possible is those brave souls who slightly venture up, gradually venture up and do that lap after lap and slowly work it in during the race. So this just leads me to wonder why are we doing this rubbering in session prior to the NASCAR truck race? That's the part I don't fully grasp so yeah um i'm looking forward to being educated on this one uh because i'm missing a really big reason why the why don't you do it sunday morning part i mean that is the logical thing but i guess the if i had to put my team owner team manager hat on i'd say well we do go green at you know 11 10 a.m what if we have a crash during that rubbering in session at pick the time, 8 a.m., 8.30 in the morning, whatever, Sunday morning? If that were to happen the previous day, we'd have plenty of time to repair the car. And again, you have to play worst case scenario. What if our driver gets hurt, concussion, something you can't drive, gives us time to draft in a replacement. If this happens two hours before the start two and a half hours before the start i don't know if we're going to have enough time to do that so i would imagine that there were questions sent around saying hey when should we do this what time what about sunday morning my guess is yet everyone say yeah we got it we got our game plan this thing and worst case scenario uh we have <laughs> we have one, a single car crash okay but what if there's two cars, three cars get tangled up in that. We're just not going to have time to recover. So we're going to have to do this on Saturday and hope that it somehow um, pays off. We don't know exactly how after the NASCAR truck race, but try and figure that out. Um, so, yeah, there's that. Uh, let's see. Where do we go? Austin Merrill asking what it was like being at the 2001 Spooky Cart uh, race. I wasn't there 2001. I was working in the Indy racing league, uh, not cart. And so I wasn't there, but, uh, was there with friend Davey Hamilton and Sam Schmidt motorsports when, uh, Davey crashed and those stupid, uh, inside the fence poles, um, broke the front of the tub off and did uh, permanent damage to Davey's feet and legs. Uh, let's see, Zach Dean, you say as Texas is coming up, I find myself wondering if we race at TMS, why don't we also race at other one and a half mile ovals like Chicagoland and Illinois? You say, I understand safety is a concern, but can you help me understand the difference? Yeah, no real difference. Just no real willingness as I understand outreaches or efforts by whether these are one and a half milers owned by uh, the SMI Speedway Motorsports Incorporated folks, they also, they're the folks who own Texas uh, or NASCAR with whatever they own. Um, 
just not aware of any uh, owners of one and a half milers saying, hey, we really truly want you to come here and race. I don't know um, if IndyCar has made any efforts to really try and get back on more one and a half milers in recent years, Zach, but um, I will uh, try and ask Jay if that is uh, a desire at all for them to add more. Keep in mind, again, it's... <laughs> I always think of venues like dating. Get a lot of the, well, hey, why don't you go here? You should go back there. Or you should race at this place. Go, yep, I totally agree. But it's kind of like saying you should date a supermodel of whatever gender or de- identification. And you go, well, yeah, you should. <laughs> of course, <laughs> uh, keep in mind that there's someone else here that has to say, yes, that's a great idea. Uh, it's not just a case of like, Hey, by the way, uh, I'm married to a supermodel. You go, Oh, when did you make that decision? And did they know about it? Like the reason we don't just go to this track and we should go back here and we should, that's the place we got to go. You go, I, I hear you and I agree, but you kind of need the folks that own those tracks to say, yep, we're in full agreement. Let's get hitched. Let's get married. So the reason we're not at uh, Chicago land or Milwaukee land or Kentucky land or wherever else is because the folks on the other end at minimum have not said, yes, let's get married. And depending on whether IndyCar has an interest, has done outreach, there may be no interest expressed from their side to get hitched. So, uh, that's where most of these things fall. Uh, Steve Grinstead, Marshall, do you think we will, uh, who do you think will be the first driver to get their first IndyCar win this season? So of those who need to become first time winners, got me a little bit on this one here, but let me, uh, let me take a look at the good old list of who's going to be the first to be first among those who've never won motor races rolling through here is and should there be a, a a time period by the way steve where like and i'm thinking of graham ray hall and i hope he hears this because he'll just give me nothing but crap and punch me um if you've won indycar races but it's been a long time is there some period of time where we're not of course we could never take your wins away but does the clock kind of roll back to zero we're like you know, you haven't won a race in five years or whatever it is. Um, you're in that group of, of quote, first-time winners, right? Again, I, we know that you got some wins, but it's been long enough, kind of like driver's licenses, right? If you haven't had a driver's license in a while, they make you go back. They don't just reissue you one because you used to drive a bunch. Uh, you got to come back and prove that uh, you're still capable and pass a test where my mind's going here steve is there some sort of time period where we go if it's been three years five years whatever many years yeah of course you're still a winner but we're gonna lump you in with those who haven't well i'd have to say kyle kirkwood kyle kirkwood our pal romaine gross gene aka romain rochon aka uh who else 
Yeah, I'm not seeing many others where this year they're going to get their first wins. Um, Romain and Kyle jump out as the most obvious. Similar group. There's maybe only two others that stand out. Christian Lundgaard. I think I wrote in one of my season previews that I think he's going to win a race this year. He should win a race, but I'm not thinking it's going to be pole lead every lap type win. Uh, I'm thinking he's going to be there, thereabouts, and have some sort of great finish uh, to get that victory. Malukas as well, David Malukas. Um, I would say on the depth chart here, I'd say Kirkwood, Groschon, P3 would be Lungard and Malukas P4, but it's a little bit of a distant P4 from Malukas just because the coin team has not necessarily gone uh, from strength to strength with yet another engineering reboot on their end. So uh, give them a little bit of time. Maybe uh, David halfway, second half of the year, someplace might be possible. But yeah, other than that, it's actually impressive looking at how many folks have won races. I mean, Callum Eilat's another one. Not sure where I'd slot him in. Uh, I feel like I should slot him in above Lucas. So yeah, well, let's adjust that to Callum and P4 and David and P5 on the first to get their first list. Where else do we go here? Uh, you know, let me take a look at the clock as well. All right, we're not even at half an hour. We're we're rocking and rolling here. Uh. Therese Lombardi. How you doing, Therese? Speaking of great volunteers, Therese and her husband, Mike, they have been SCCA volunteers for a long time. They actually get to work with our pal Kurt Pose, who sent in a question a little earlier in the show. Uh, got to see all three of them together at turn 11 at Long Beach last year. And actually, yeah, that's gonna, that'll be the, uh, the show tune that I use for this episode because you'll see Therese on the left and Mike on the right in that tune of turn 11 at long beach. And Kurt, maybe if we do another revision, we'll try and uh, wedge you in there somewhere in the background as well. Uh, you asked, do you give all the drivers fun nicknames? Um, I don't know if I give them so much individual nicknames, but, um, I think most, most I refer to whether they call or I call them or see them in person, uh, Snuggle Bunny is, is probably the number one name that I call most drivers. Um, uh, if it's an Australian driver uh, or a driver from New Zealand, um, there's something that we lovingly refer to as, uh, I just call it the Australian hello or the down under hello. And uh, yes, it's a four-letter word, and uh, it starts with a, a letter fairly uh, early in the alphabet and, uh, you know, fun thing is, <laughs> uh, it's not just me. Uh, they will, uh, they will fire the same greeting back. Um, and we even have a little bit of a, a short, uh, sh- little short handshake on that. Um, and it's not restricted to drivers could be, uh, crew members could be broadcasters who are from down under and yeah. Um, we'll just, uh, media folks as well. Uh, I will know that a friend of mine from <laughs> Australia or New Zealand is in the vicinity or, or uh, walking up, say, behind 
because I'll hear them say, speaking of, and uh, <laughs> it's a speaking of dot, dot, dot with that little four-letter word um, that uh, sometimes uh, that rhymes with, say, the act of hunting. Um and yeah, we leave the, the last word unspoken because there's no need. Um, and so, yes, I've even had a friend of mine from down under <laughs> send me, mail me something in a little box and uh, put my name on it. And also in the shipping thing where it asks for the business name, uh, they sent it to me at our address, obviously, um, and our business, uh, speaking of incorporated. So that one's pretty funny. So yeah. Um, two things, either something really, you know, warm, uh, like snuggle bunny or something like that. And then, uh, something very caustic because if you can't say mean things to your friends, uh, why have friends? That's what I, I think. And they say it back. So that's the way it's supposed to work. Therese, uh, Jameen Tuttle, Love the question here. Say NTT is re-upped for a multi-year deal. We're racing at Texas. You say since NTT is signed back on, I assume the deal is good for them. Is it good for IndyCar? You say when announcements like this are made without at least an approximate value, makes me wonder. Uh, I would think that even if it's not much actual cash exchanging hands, they would say in a deal valued at such and such dollars. Uh, you said IndyCar seems to just stay quiet. If they're worried how something will look. And it makes me think we're just going with the only option, not the best. Uh, how's this? I cannot think of a single press release from the IndyCar series from any of its teams, any of its manufacturers, any of its partners that have included dollar amounts to me. Uh, none. And uh, you look, if there's one somewhere, then of course, I'm not talking about this one exception. <coughs> That's just not how things get done here. I also really can't think of seeing that in NASCAR, IMSA, you name it. So I would not take what you read in the NTT extends title sponsorship uh, press releases or any of that uh, media that came out from it as being hiding something or something that's caused for concern along the lines of, oh, it must be a small amount. That's why they're not mentioning it. This stuff never gets mentioned. It's just not part of the game. And when you ask, they don't tell you. All they'll tell you is it's a multi-year deal. So I would not say that this is an indicator of a problem based on how the information was presented to the world the thing that did strike me though and it does fall in line a little bit with your question of is this the best thing for indycar and that's what they've gotten or is this kind of the only option they have got a chance to join in on the uh, zoom interview with penske entertainment ceo mark miles and I apologize, I'm forgetting his last name, but Bob, who's the uh, CEO of NTT Data Services, joined in on that about 45 minutes before the press release went out, along with a variety of other journalists, and asked the one thing that I kind of knew the answer to, but I was hoping to be surprised, pleasantly surprised with 
some change, and that was so f- you look at name the other sport, big sport, whether they have a title sponsor for that sport or they just have a couple of main advertisers. Could be a car manufacturer that's heavily involved with the NBA. Could be uh, a beer manufacturer that's involved with Formula One. Could be run down the list of a lot of different things. Um, you tend to see that primary sponsor or, again, the, the main couple of sponsors could be a beer sponsor. You see a lot of advertisements from that brand really trying to sell and promote and amplify their relationship with that major sporting series. Of the various reasons to be involved, one of them is to try and use a little bit of the shine from that sporting entity to amplify yourself. Also, I guess in turn, to raise awareness or interest for the series you're engaged with. I, unless I've missed it, have never seen a single thing from NTT in terms of a advertising campaign uh, that has any kind of reach. Not saying you won't go to Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, whatever, and find some things between NTT and IndyCar and saying we're involved here and we're doing this. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about I turned on the television, I pulled up the stream on my phone, I whatever else, and I know maybe some of this sounds a little bit old-timey, but I opened up a newspaper or I went to the newspaper that I subscribe to and uh, use the digital uh, access when I wake up each morning, and I saw a thing that said, hi, we're the primary sponsor of IndyCar. And we do this stuff in the world, and we love doing it with IndyCar, and buy our stuff, but also watch IndyCar, and did you know IndyCar exists? That's the thing I haven't seen. And so that was the question that I asked. Is there anything brewing between NTT and IndyCar, IndyCar and NTT, as its title sponsor? Your name is in their name, NTT IndyCar Series. Is there anything you guys have planned to do like other primary sponsors and or major partners, you know, the official this of the series, the official that of this league, whatever, anything to help increase awareness for this sport that you're involved in? And the answer was no. Uh, no from IndyCar, no from NTT. They did cite a lot of the good stuff that they're doing, right? App, trying to reach folk to the app uh, and do more with the app. Again, uh, uh, nothing critical, nothing negative to say there whatsoever, but that's speaking to an audience that already exists. The one problem IndyCar has that supersedes all the others has been around for a couple of decades now. And I, it makes me sad to say decades, but it's the same problem. Not enough people know about IndyCar. Those who tend to find it, love it. Those of us who can bring other folks in, friends, whatever. Hey, come with me. We're going to Texas this weekend. 
heard from a couple of you, right? Christy Perdana is one of them who's like, hey, um, I think she said she's bringing three friends or four friends who've never been to an IndyCar race. I, I hope they enjoy the heck out of it and decide to go to more. Christy, though, shouldn't be doing more than the series primary sponsor to engage new fans. So coming back to close your your great question, Jimmy. Is NTT a good thing? Yes. They are bringing a lot of really cool technology. I mean, there's a lot of great stuff they're doing with the series. No argument, end of statement. It's that shifting into high gear where I at least have expectations, and I think most people would have reasonable expectations that if someone, if a sporting league is going to engage with someone and say you're our title sponsor, we're putting your name in our name, there would be some sort of demands. Hey, in this spend that you are doing, X percent must be to raise, alert, and amplify uh, our relationship and to make us bigger and better. Because the bigger and more known and aware we are, the more aware known you are. But if all of your investments are just catering to the existing fan base, we are not solving this decades-long problem that keeps IndyCar at, at minimum, the second-tier form of racing in the States. I mean, if you look at the TV ratings, I know that NASC, we all know that NASCAR is the number one in terms of popularity here. I'm also starting to think, just as a little bit of a, a, a sidebar here, within NASCAR, there's obviously three main touring divisions cup xfinity and trucks if you look at the ratings for cup those always beat indycar never a question xfinity kind of in the same place of of being above similar if not above so i'm wondering instead of just saying nascar as a whole is number one and indycar is number two Part of me is wondering, like, hey, if we're being honest, in terms of how many people are consuming the average event, I know that Xfinity is under the same NASCAR umbrella, but if we're talking actual series, I think IndyCar might be number three. I think we might have to look at that number three. And knowing Formula One's popularity, explosion of popularity as well, IndyCar might be number four in North America, in its home territory. So not saying any of this to knock our favorite series, just saying that, boy, if we had a problem to solve that we would probably put above all the others, it's, yeah, we're, we're, we're definitely not P2. Uh, we're P3 or P4 on the awareness and interest and average audience size list. And what can we do to improve that? And who could we work with to change that? <sighs> Jameen, I, I just got to think that anybody signing on as the primary sponsor is probably going to have to uh, agree 
that a decent amount of what they do involves solving that issue. All right, we are going to fire through the last um, handful of questions here, and then we are going to get on with our days. And also, uh, let's see, what do we go to? Justin Vroom says, what are the differences that allow USF Pro Championship cars tracing the full Sebring circuit? Indy cars do not use the full course when they test there. Is that there are no benefits of the full course, uh, et cetera, et cetera? Uh, yeah, huge, huge reason. Um, USF championship cars, junior open wheel cars, smaller, much lighter, much less reliant on huge downforce to bury them into the ground. So as a result, run the ride heights higher without that drastically affecting the overall performance of the cars do that with an indy car which needs to be run basically on the ground uh, on the deck to make proper necessary downforce uh, wind those cars way up in the air to clear um, all the the big bumps and pounding that they would take and you no longer have cars that are really performing in any kind of window um, that makes them acceptable uh, to drive. Second, um, because you have an indie car that is so much heavier, and I'm exaggerating, but dang near double the weight of these small uh, junior open-wheel training cars run in the USF Pro Championships presented by Cooper Tires, you start crashing some of those crazy bumps in turn 17, turn 1, um, a couple of the other places as well with the cars at lower ride heights where they need to perform and you are in serious risk of just breaking the cars. Uh, think about the prototypes that run an IMSA, the GTP class. They are high off the ground. Uh, they're heavy as well, but these are much bigger, stouter, sturdier cars that are capable of taking this kind of punishment. An IndyCar was never designed to be just slammed into the concrete as hard as they do at Sebring over and over and over again. So, yeah, little cars, little open-wheel cars that don't make a ton of downforce, that don't need to be run on the deck, that's why they're able to uh, go at Sebring. But uh, that's a very different creature. Uh, to run around there than an IndyCar. And thanks for asking, Justin. Uh, Matthew Featherman says, it's been a while since I asked a question, but love the podcast. Look forward to its release each time. Well, thanks, Matthew. So I'm curious in your thoughts about NTT and their renewal. Uh, part of me wishes NTT would focus on car sponsorship solely, that hopefully IndyCar could find a more well-known brand to fund that title role, meaning one that makes more sense in racing circles that it could get more viewership for the series via its branding. So anyway, still glad we have a title sponsor, but just curious if it's just me thinking that way. I mean, that's where they started, right? They came into the series, I think it was, was it 2014, I think, with Chip Ganassi Racing and ended up being elevated to a uh, title sponsor. They do a lot of great stuff with the Indianapolis Motor Speedway too. Um, we saw through last season, NTT remaining with Chip Ganassi Racing, 
anecdotally, and I don't have any numbers. If I did, I, I would share them with you. But anecdotally, Matthew, what the, the rumors in the paddock over the last couple of years was that NTT kept dialing down its annual spend. If you were to look at Alex Pelot's number 10 Chip Ganassi racing car last year, I think even the year before, there was not a full season, every single race sponsorship with NTT on that car. I think last year, again, don't hold me to the exact number, but it felt like roughly half of the races had NTT on the car and the other half had, whether it was the American Legion, what I think Ridgeline Oils might've been in for one or two, or there was a, an array of, of sponsors. And obviously if NTT was paying the full six to $8 million nut for the season, there'd be no need for others to be on the car. If you look at the fact that again, they were on for approximately half of the season, knowing that again, sponsorships full season for a, a bigger, stronger team, like a Ganassi should run in the six to 8 million, cut that number in half. What does that leave you? three to four million for the year. So of the things that I heard, other teams were trying to see if they could peel NTT away from Chip Ganassi Racing to uh, be a part of, of their world. We know that that was successful, that NTT obviously moved over to Aero McLaren do I think that was maybe part of a uh, a plan to be Alex Pelot's sponsor while there, continuing the relationship with Alex? Um, yeah, obviously that hasn't happened for this year, uh, but should be happening for next. But I am, am not told, nor have I heard, that there was you know any kind of drastic change in funding meaning yeah it might have been half a budget in its last year or two at Ganassi, but there's massive amounts of money uh coming their way for uh moving over to aero mclaren now again if i'm wrong i'm totally wrong but just coming back to your point here if we look at the fact that there was a dialing down of of vehicle sponsorship I don't know what the amount is that IndyCar gets paid by NTT, but it would be strange to me to think that things were dialing down on the car side, but there's some sort of huge amounts of cash being paid to the series. So would I rather see a a brand that everybody knows and does a lot of advertising and activation? Of course, we just spoke about that with Jameen's question a Pennzoil, a shell, a pick, whatever it might be. We don't have that right now. (laughs) I know that's an obvious statement, but I I say that in a way that if there were others that we might think were either more traditional racing type sponsors or ones that could elevate IndyCar to a higher state of awareness, I would think that they would have signed that sponsor. The fact that they haven't suggests that this 
this is where they're at in terms of folks wanting to be the title sponsor. And so again, I'm thankful for NTT without a doubt. Let's just hope that things continue to improve for IndyCar audience increases, although small and incremental continue to happen, get to a place where very soon, uh, someone, some entity says, Hey, we want to come in and we want to do things. Um, that's my glass half full approach here. Uh, Mato Corey say, do you feel the gap from race one to race two hurts the sport? Most fans think it does, especially because Texas can provide great racing. What are your thoughts? Totally agree. Again, been this way for just a little bit. This is another question that I have for Jay of there's no, (laughs) there's no major sport that holds its first event and then goes silent for a month, uh, and then comes back after other than IMSA, which goes dark for six weeks. So you think about 24 hours of Daytona happening at the very end of January and then the 12 hours of Sebring in the middle of March every year. Again, they have a longer pause. It's also, though, happened for a good long while now. So not it's something that IMSA fans are accustomed to. Uh, this isn't something that has happened long enough for us in IndyCar for us to be accustomed to it. So it still feels weird and wrong. So yeah, totally agree. Hey, coming out of St. Pete, it would have been wonderful two weeks later for us to go wherever. Um, I'd love to see this get uh, resolved quickly. And uh, I'll ask Jay if there's any chances of that being a real thing. Andy Bauer, MP, how serious are the chances for a race in Argentina next year? Yet another question I need to uh, get posed and get a finer feel for some of these things and i apologize if it feels like a lot of the answers today are i got to talk with someone first but jay and i have been meaning to catch up for a little bit um so i got a whole bunch of questions for him want to check in with either mark miles or ricardo Junkos in person at texas uh to talk about argentina knowing that they all all just visited there the real answer is this odds wise andy the odds are 100% of it happening if the local government uh, and or private sector sponsors come in and fund it. And there's it. I can announce right now, Argentina will be on the calendar for sure if someone pays for the whole thing for IndyCar to be there. <laughs> and if that doesn't happen, I can announce right now, there's 0% chance of us going to Argentina. So that's very in very basic and simple terms what it all comes down to who is going to pay for the fairly big number of transporting 27 28 however many cars and pit equipment and crew down to argentina who's going to pay for the whole thing cover all the travel not just the getting there and getting back but the hotels and the this and the that promoter would be expected to cover the whole thing plus for there to be a sanction fee on top of that and it to be a pretty decent sanction fee as well. So IndyCar can use that, apply that towards leader's circle or just uh, their own bottom line. So it's strictly about money, my friend. And so I'm hoping to get an answer here shortly. Uh, Nate Falkowitz, do you know what happened that took Joseph out of the race uh, at the end? You say if it's engine related, was there any potential relation to what happened to Pato? 
given that they're both in Chevy's. Uh, I asked Chevy, and Chevy said Pato's plenum fire uh, was absolutely not what took Joseph out. Um, there was a, a engine fire that took place with Joseph. I tried to get more information, and they were disinclined to provide that information. So just know that, yes, was engine-related, was not uh, related to what happened with Pato. Two more to go here, then we're going to say farewell. Would it make sense? Uh, Casey Kirkstra is asking um, for any car to team up with IMSA and maybe do a Sunday race right after the 12 hours. Yeah, coming back to uh, the earlier question here uh, from Justin as to uh, why, yeah, we're... Uh, we're not going to be trying to bust cars. Um, so no, unfortunately, ain't going to happen. Uh, Chuck Obendorf, you closed the show asking, saying, long-time listener, first-time writer, with uh, three more tubs written off at St. Pete. I was wondering how many fully functioning cars are out there. 60-plus. Um, uh, you know, yeah. I'm going to just write this down as well. Huh? Exactly how many Delores. Um, I'll try and get an answer on that uh chuck because i know again anecdotally there's been 60 plus made um but let me try and find out exactly how many um uh, are still in existence well let me rephrase i don't know if i'm going to be able to get an answer on exactly how many are still alive and functional uh but hopefully i can get an answer on exactly how many have been made all right, y'all, thank you for everything you sent in. Thanks once again to our friend Jerry Siddeth for putting all the questions together. Welcome, and please, um, if you uh, so feel compelled, um, maybe welcome uh, Discount Tire to the show. Um, if, uh, if you are the, the type of, of person who likes uh, friendliness and welcoming to the family at Discount Tire, um, just send them a little note and say, Hey, thanks for joining in here on our little, uh, week in IndyCar show that we do. And I uh, look forward to having them for the rest of the year, along with, uh, joining in for our Monday hashtag racing family show. Big thank you as well to Cooper tires, all that they do for us, but more importantly, all that they do for Anderson promotions and the USF championships and junior open wheel racing. And then definitely our amazing partners at the Justice Brothers, and then torontomotorsports.com as well. The OGs, our first partners with the show. Uh, can't see a place in time where they're ever not our partners in the show. So between Cooper Tires, Discount, Justice Brothers, and torontomotorsports.com, we are really and truly in a super happy, happy place here with the old podcast. And I'll speak to you all here very soon.